Well, good morning, everybody. And again, I just want to say I'm so thrilled to be back with you. Have you heard of the thin place? The thin place. In Celtic Christianity, uh, they described places geographically that felt like thin places. And a thin place was something that it was actually a little bit more superstitious, really. But they considered a thin place to be areas where it just felt like the space between heaven and earth were a little bit more thin. Where you could feel the presence of God a little bit more real in that area. I've experienced moments that would be explained kind of like thin places in Israel at a church built at the Garden of Gethsemane, the same place that Jesus prayed his final prayer before being arrested and going to the cross. We had communion together among, amongst the olive groves there at the Garden of Gethsemane. And we sang, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus," and it just felt like heaven was touching earth. Now, it's not so much the place, it's more about the preparation of the person. It's more about the expectation of the person. And I believe that every location, whether you're watching in your living room, like my good, or the kitchen, like my good friend, Irma, that watches in Chicago from her kitchen table. If you're watching from Dieball or Duncan in the unit there, if you're watching uh, with Iglesia or you're watching right here live, or you're, you're not even looking at me, you're looking at the screen, just like Nagadochus is. Regardless of where you are, where you crown Jesus King can become a thin place in your life. 21 days of prayer in your chair is an opportunity for us to debunk the myth that I've got to walk down to an altar or sit in a church service to experience Jesus. However, don't hear what I'm not saying. There is so much importance of corporately gathering together. There are so many promises of God that you will never experience if you try to do life solo, if you try to do the Christian walk by yourself. We need, we're built for each other. We're designed for community. God himself is not a what, but a who. God in three persons. He's built for community. He built you in his image. You're built for community, but your chair in, in private alone is a thin place to meet with God. We want to invite you over the next few days. We've got 14 days left of these 21 days of prayer your office chair, your break room chair, your driver's chair, the living room chair, the, the, the whatever, the, 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 the great porcelain altar in your bathroom can be a chair. Find a place, 21 days of prayer in your chair, get along with God and expect it to be a thin place. We're going to go to scripture where there's this moment where Jesus... He, 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 he brings so close heaven and earth in a miracle in faith. And I want you to know right now off the bat, I'm going to tell you where we're going. We're going to, when we're done here, or actually before we're done, we're going to stand and pray some big prayers. We're going to pray over healing today. We're going to pray for miracles, financial, emotional, spiritual, physical, relational this is a thin place, everybody. God will meet you where you are. 
We're going to go to the book of Mark, one of the gospels. And I'm going to read to you quite a few scriptures. We're going to drink from the biblical fire hose. And then I'm going to preach as fast as I can because we've already had a late start. But I'm also asking you to step away from the clock for a minute. Your kids are in good hands. I hope you don't have a roast in the oven. But roast is great. Well done. It get, it, it, it's okay. All right. Here's a story. Let me read it to you. It's not just a story. It really happened. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. People are drawn to Jesus. People are drawn to Jesus. And then as that crowd was forming, one of the synagogue leaders, he's a pastor, he's a priest, he's, he's part of the rituals that happen in the Jewish community. The only way to get close to God was to not have prayer in your chair. You had to go have a sacrifice done by one of the synagogue leaders. You had to go into the temple and they had to do it for you because you didn't have what it took. They were separated and consecrated as the high priests. And then Jesus comes and says, you're all a royal priesthood because I'm going to take the place of the ultimate high priest. I'm going to take the place of the ultimate sacrifice. And now you don't have to go through all kinds of rituals and legal systems. I'm the system. I'm the law. I'm the grace. I'm the truth. I'm the life. You don't go to the father through the, to the temple, to the Ark of the covenant. You go to the father through me, but we're learning that this system as strong as it was and detailed as it was, it wasn't enough for them to truly see what they were asking God to do. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. I can only imagine the pain of a dad whose daughter is close to death. I know some of you may have experienced that. So Jesus went with him. Jesus heard his story and he said, let's go. So that large crowd that had already gathered by the lake is now walking through the dusty streets of the city and they followed and they pressed around him. In other words, Jesus is kind of walking, but they're, they're talking and their kids are with them. And they, I don't know what they're saying or doing. They're wanting to introduce him. Will you sign my, will you sign this? Will you, you talk to me? Will you pray or put your hand on me? Whatever. They're, they're just pressing him because they had heard about him and what was following him was unbelievable things that they wanted to see for themselves. And in the middle of that crowd, a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. This is a reproductive situation. This is her um, monthly cycle. She has, a, she has a hemorrhaging for 12 years and it's weakened her. She has suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. She saw a late night infomercial to cure your ails, your ailments. She is ordering it. The doctors would give her doctor after doctor after doctor, all kinds of systems and remedies and shots and, and systems and remedies and shots. And she had spent all she had yet instead of getting better, she got worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd. She's looking for anonymity. 
and touched his cloak. Why is she looking for anonymity? We'll talk about that in a minute. Because she thought, she touched his cloak, touched his clothes, because she thought, well, if I just touch his clothes, maybe I'll be healed. Like, I'll be healed if I just touch his clothes. And immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. It's a miracle. And at once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and he says something crazy because he's Jesus. He's like all-knowing. This is weird. Why does he do this? Who, who touched my clothes? Who touched my clothes? And the disciples are very prim and proper. <laughs> and they say, well, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? Here's what they're saying in modern day English. Uh... Duh, <laughs> everybody's touching you, Jesus. You probably, got your, you, you probably got your wallet stolen at some point. <laughs> but Jesus kept looking around. Um, pause. He knows. He knows. But he's always on the move and scripture is never wasted and there's always something he's teaching us. He knows. All right, unpause. He kept looking around to see who had done it. Now remember, he's on the way to Jairus' house because Jairus' daughter is at death's door. And he's taking time to look around and ask a question that doesn't seem answerable. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came and fell at his feet. Both of them had fallen at his feet, Jairus and this woman. And trembling with fear, she probably is a little embarrassed and doesn't know what's about to happen. Who touched me? Who touched me? Uh-oh, uh-oh, I'm in trouble with the rabbi. So she told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, the plot thickens. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead. He said, why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. I don't know how I would process that in that moment. I'm hearing my baby is dead. And you're telling me just believe? I've been waiting for you for five minutes to figure out who touched you in a crowd. And you want me to believe you? Jesus did not let anyone follow him. So now he separates from the crowd, except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, notice he said synagogue leader several different times. There's something here. There's something there. We'll unpack it in a minute. Jesus saw a commotion. Oh, duh. The baby's dead in the bedroom. People crying and wailing loudly. I've been awakened at four in the morning with the wailing of a mom and a dad and a sister as their firstborn daughter dies. And I could not explain to you the sound of that grief. 
He went in and he said to them, no need for all this commotion. Why, 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 why all the commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. Look at what they do. They laughed at him. You don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> what? They laughed at him. So Jesus goes like a little OG, original God, <laughs> like, and he put them all out. He said, oh, you're going to laugh? Bye. Bye-bye. He went in sync on them. Baby, bye, bye, bye. So after he put all the laughing out, he took the child's father and mother, and the disciples who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and he went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. Why? I don't know. I don't know. And he told them to give her something to eat. He just like went on with his, it's not like they all of a sudden did a big worship service. He's like, give her some cinnamon toast crunch. There's a, I love it too. I love that. That's my favorite cereal. Um, so there's so much to unpack here. We see two stories, one of a deep spiritual leader and a woman who for 12 years hasn't been to church because her issue has made her ceremonially unclean, not even able to, because of the law, even enter into the presence of God and have sacrifice and have someone pray to God for her. She has been by herself alone, separated. She's unclean. She's trying to sneak into Jesus because she's breaking the law even by leaving her home. And there are some basic lessons of faith and there is some like master's degree level of faith in this story. And we're going to unpack both. Why? Why do we need to, to talk about faith that fuels a miracle today? Write it down in your notes that we start with this thought. You can be crowded around Jesus all your life and never really touch him. There are so many people exactly like this woman who had an issue and they are surrounding Jesus. Tons of people are touching him, rubbing up against him, talking to him. And there are all kinds of people you can enter into a church and you can have a worship service and you can know about Jesus and you can even learn about Jesus and you can be crowded around Jesus all your life and never take the step though to reach out and touch him. And your experience has been hindered because you are relying on the experience of people that have experienced the power of God around you versus you experiencing the power of God for yourself. The truth is many people live on the faith of their grandma. They live on the faith of their parents. They live on the faith of their spouse who drags them to church every once in a while. And they, that's good for them. But I got my own theories about life and kind of they're a little bit overboard. You know, I'm going to kind of figure it out on my own. And I want to tell you, don't be crowded around Jesus and never Touch Jesus. He has power for you and relationship with you and a hand stretched out to you. A lot of us felt inspired at that church. We felt that goosebump. 
then we drifted and kind of did our own thing. We go back to the good old days. I was at Lufkin Barbecue a while back. We we're having a big pastors gathering. There's about 25 pastors there and we were praying and I had gotten up and I was about ready to speak. And one of the uh, servers came up to me and said, hey, 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 um, while you guys are praying, will you pray for my daughter who's, who's sick? Um, and we said, yeah, yeah, we talked. And, and um, as I was done, I said, hey, uh, and I told her, called her by name and had her come over here and I said, um, uh, she's got a daughter uh, who's sick and we're gonna pray for her. And I said, where do you go to church? And she goes, I go to First Assembly, which back in the day, this church was, that was the name, Lufkin First Assembly. And she goes, I go to Lufkin First Assembly. Well, I haven't, I'm a pastor. And she said, Pastor Bob Lewis is the pastor. Well, Pastor Bob Lewis hadn't been the pastor in like 20 some years. But it was like yesterday for her. That's my church, but Pastor Bob Lewis is the pastor. It's a good church. And I said, I've heard it's a good church. You know, it's a great church. I heard, I heard. I said, well, regardless of where you go to church, we believe in prayer. I didn't even tell her, you know, I didn't tell, I'm the pastor, you numbskull. Like I didn't, um, many people are living off 20 years ago. You're living off VBS. You're 40. You're living off your, your, your wife's faith. You can be crowded around him and never really know him for yourself. And he is a personal God that wants to know you. That's why we need some lessons. So let me start with some basic lessons on faith that can fuel a miracle. Some basic lessons on faith that fuels a miracle. Number one, it is desperation that is the door miracles often walk through. Jairus had watched as the doctor walks back out of the bedroom, takes the stethoscope off, closes the black satchel, and he says, she's close. And the wife of Jairus says, we can't, we can't, I refuse to believe this is it. She's 12, Jairus, what are we gonna do? And, and maybe one of the maidservants says, you know, I heard that Jesus just got off the lake. My friend was telling me she was going down to the market to see Jesus and, and the mom says, see Jesus. And I wondered if Jairus had to deal at all with the fact that he's supposed to be the leader. He's supposed to be the guy that got the answers. He's supposed to be the guy that does all of the spiritual practices. But when you're desperate, it don't matter who's in charge. It doesn't matter the pedigree. It doesn't matter how long you've done whatever you've done. It doesn't matter if you've learned to pray. Now I lay me down to sleep. When you're desperate, you'll do just about anything to find an answer. Jairus rips off his monk robe and puts on his running shorts and his Nikes and he heads out to the market to find Jesus. And when he's there, he doesn't expect Jesus to bow to him as the synagogue leader. He falls at his feet. A woman who was not allowed to be out and was going to risk, going to risk more condemnation that she had already felt on herself, making the rabbi unclean, but she was desperate. Desperation is the door miracles often walk through. It's a negative. It's a negative. The first step is negative. Look, you don't need a miracle if there's no problem. And I, problems come and they become a platform for his power. 
you got to get a little desperate. Now, she had been desperate. She had been so desperate that she had looked for every single cure except the main one. Now, got to be careful here. She chose to refuse those remedies so that Jesus could be the remedy. Many times people get it confused and they go to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, can you be the key that unlocks what I want to happen? Can you give me the answer for the remedy I'm looking for? And so people, people that you're, you're thirsty for love, You've seen, you, 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 you're single and you want to be married and you're like, man, this woman over here has been married three times and I know I'm a better girl than she is. Just one, just one man and she got three? And so you go to Jesus asking, God, help me find true love. And Jesus is inviting you. Don't come to me so that I will help you find true love. Come to me and let me be your true love. Don't come to me asking for a miracle. Come to me looking for the way maker. Because when you find me, you have all you need. And then let's see what happens next. But you've got to engage the desperation. You know, it isn't the faith that moves mountains. It's the desperation that starts the process. Look, a main reason people don't find Jesus is not the size of their faith. It's the size of their pride. So many times the reason people don't get desperate because they got to look the part. There's a lot of people depending upon them to have the answers as Jairus would bless the families as they came into the synagogue. But you got to be unwilling. You got to be willing to lose some pride to say, I thought I had all the answers. I don't got all the answers. I thought I had all the information. I don't have all the information. I need to trust in something bigger than myself. And that's Jesus' invitation to Jairus. Trust me, I know what you've just seen. Your baby, he's being told that his running to Jesus is not even enough because the baby died anyway. The 12-year-old died anyway. He's saying, believe, trust me. It's not what it looks like. Desperation is usually the door miracles walk through. It's a lesson. Can you be hungry and thirsty and desperate for Jesus? Maybe at one time you were and you got drifted, you got used to it, and you go through the same systems and exercises like Jairus would every day. To You sit in your, your chair for prayer for 21 days, but it's stale and it's cold because there's, there's just, you gotta, you got the, you, you've got the American dream. You got life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And as, as, as Americans, we almost feel like it's unchristian to ever be desperate. Like if we're going to be a Christian, God ought to answer everything. And sometimes God places you in a desperate place so that you can get desperate so that you can fall at his feet again and recognize him, not just as a remedy for your issue, but as the need, the answer to every need in your life. Number two, Jesus is radically powerful, but rarely predictable. You cannot formula Jesus. You can't, you can't geometry Jesus. Well, A squared plus B squared equals my healing. I don't know why God's not answering my prayer. Well, maybe you have sin in your life. Oh, A, A squared plus B squared equals healing. 
I'm, I'm praying. Well, you know what? You need, to, you need to just claim it. You don't even be thinking about other things. You don't even be, you don't even be worried about it. You don't even pray about it. You're going to claim it. It's yours. You take it. You grab it. It's not happening. But what kind, you just don't have enough faith. You got to build your faith. You got to make your faith bigger. You got to be stronger. You, well, well, maybe you're not praying enough. Maybe you're not having to read the Bible enough. Maybe you're not witnessing enough. Maybe you're not going to church enough. He is radically powerful, but you ain't going to predict how his outcomes turn out. In one moment, he says, roll away the, t- roll away the stone. Lazarus, <laughs> come forth. Here comes Lazarus, like a mummy. Lazarus' mom just passes out. And what we'll see in this story, he doesn't, he doesn't open the door and say, young girl, come forth. Grabs her by the hand. In the Old Testament, Elisha, there's a, dead, there's, a, there's a dead child and he lays on top of her and breathes on her. I started doing that when I do hospital visits. It didn't last very long. They're like, get off me. <laughs> God is a God of creative variations. You can't formula the deal. He's radically powerful, but rarely predictable. Look at what happens here. He turns things on its head. He goes, he goes countercultural because the person that, that most people would be willing to go to would be the big guy in the corner office of the synagogue, Jairus. They wouldn't stop for the woman. Women were way, way low on the totem pole. They weren't even considered human, really. They were there there to meet needs, not to be recognized. And Jesus is changing all that. Jairus is a male. He's the spiritual leader. He's wealthy. His girl is at death's door. It makes more sense for him to go to the death door than a chronic illness, this is an acute illness. Jesus goes to her and it's all behind the scenes. Now look at the woman. She's a female, obviously, she's a woman. We don't even know her name. She's not important enough, apparently, for Mark to even remember her name. She is ceremonial unclean, can't even go into the church house according to the legal system. She isn't rich, she's spent everything. She's desperate, she's poor, she's at her wit's end. She has a chronic illness. She goes to Jesus, it's in public, it's two different stories, but they are connected deeply. Look at Jesus himself, like the great physician. He can be sued for malpractice. He takes his time and he focuses on An illness that's, yeah, it's 12 years, but she's not dying. And as she's doing this, he ignores, he ignores the code red. He ignores, or whatever the code is, what is it, blue? Cold code blue. I did not order the code red. Sorry, that's a different movie. That's not the Bible. He's ignoring the code blue. Jesus is showing us something here. He connects to the outsider. He connects to the person that thinks he's got something more important to do. He is willing to meet you right where you are. This is good news for everybody. If you felt like if I come back to church, the walls will cave in. You are a perfect candidate for Jesus to meet you right where you are. He's looking for you. He goes away from the 99 to reach the one. It is his character to find the person, to spend time. They wanted to shoo the children away. And he says, let the children 
come to me. He's talking to the Samaritan woman. Samaritans, they hate us. We hate them. She's a woman. She's not worth your time. Jesus, it would be faster if we got on the lake and went around Samaria. You want to go through Samaria because Jesus is after the people that nobody's after. Jesus is after everybody. And if you are messed up, he is most attracted to you. Let me say that a different way. Jesus is most attracted to the people that have messed up the most. He's attracted. If, if you've if you got some junk in your life, oh, he's attracted to you. He'll stop on the side of the road in the middle of an emergency because he knows what you don't know. He can as easily heal a chronic illness as he can raise the dead. He's all powerful. Jesus is attracted to the most messed up. Number three, information isn't an enemy of faith. It's a friend. Uh, we would not, we would be considered a church that believes in faith, that God is still moving, that until a new heaven and earth are established, his supernatural power is at work through the body of Christ, which is the church, that the healing and miracles and signs and wonders did not stop uh, with the last apostles, but we are a royal priesthood. God is still using us to be the hands and feet, and we should not be so surprised when a miracle happens. We should expect miracles to happen. But if you're anything like me, the same way there was a crowd that gathered on the day of Pentecost and they spoke in different languages and they understood it and 3,000 people were baptized. There were people that were amazed, people that were perplexed and people that were skeptical. And even in faith-believing churches like this, we can be amazed at everything, perplexed, like I don't get it. And then sometimes we kind of cross our arms and be skeptical. Can I be honest with you? I am bent toward being more skeptical than I am amazed. I grew up in the church and I saw some things way, way kind of like just, can I just say it real? I mean, is it okay if I be real today? I am being real, whether you want me to or not. They were fake. They were well-meaning hyperactivity that was about trying to conjure up something versus truly experiencing something. And so what people look for is they, they, they look for that kind of experience and it's only in that experience that they will experience God. But I want you to know information isn't an enemy of faith, it's a friend. There is a faith movement that can take that to the extreme. It's a name it, claim it. Um, don't you ever say anything negative. Uh, you, you shouldn't worry, you should pray about it. But like, no, 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 we're not gonna, no, 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 that's not facts. We have faith. We're not gonna listen to the doctor's report. I sat, I stood in a room with a young lady who doctor just told her, here's the reports back. I will give you about 30 to 90 days. Cancer had consumed her body. I'll give you 30 to 90 days. And the doctor, pardon me, the husband said, no, no, that's not true. That's not true. Now I know a portion of that heart, but I also know the misguidedness of that heart. Information isn't an enemy. Abraham himself in the book of Romans, he faced the facts, Paul says, he faced the facts that he was old, yet he believed in his son. He's in his 90s and he's believing. Sarah, not so much. She's like, this oven is shut down, <laughs> okay? 
It ain't baking no more bread. Never did. Never gonna. If you have four friends and you walk up to a ravine, a massive ravine, and there's a rickety old rope bridge with wooden slats, you and your four friends are there, and truth is, um, you, you, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to have faith to walk on the bridge? Now, your four friends are a lot bigger than you. You've been on Jenny Craig. They've been on Jimmy Dean, okay? <laughs> They're bigger than you, so you doing the godly thing, you say, you guys go first. <laughs> so they begin to s- step out on the rickety bridge, and one by one, your big friends... Bank it across. Now, does that information go against your faith or for your faith? It's information in line with your faith. This is strong faith. This is okay. Are you still going to need faith to get on that bridge though? Yeah. But you see the information, it it doesn't take all of the fear away. See, write it down somewhere. Faith isn't opposed to my thinking. Faith is opposed to my fear. It's okay to think. It's not okay to have a pseudo faith, which is fear. To be so afraid that I'm still not willing to step out even when I see the information. And even when I see the information and it looks scary, I'm still gonna trust and not let my fear dictate. I can't let my fear be my God. I gotta let God be my God. Faith isn't opposed to my thinking, it's opposed to fear. If you want to have faith in Jesus, you have to learn about him. You have to find him. You have to spend time with him. Many people, I got a lot of theories about God, yet you've never sat down and investigated the claims of Christ. You have already made an assumption and you're not looking for information. You have closed your mind down to the possibilities that Jesus could be the way. Learn about him. Get into his word. Wrestle with it. Decide for yourself. Don't let that person you heard on Instagram decide for you. Decide for yourself. The woman had heard about Jesus. And based on what she knew, she left her house ceremonial unclean and she went to find Jesus. Number four. It's a basic lesson, but it's a hard lesson. It's about the direction of your faith, not the dimension It's the direction of your faith, not the dimension. Now, can I be honest with you? This woman with the issue, she doesn't have very good faith. She doesn't have very good faith. In fact, she's jacked up a little bit in her theology. It's kind of a quasi superstitious faith. She's thinking if I can go and grab, grab the clothes, if, if I can go touch, like touch him, It's like, it's like we put all of the faith in the oil that's the anointing or or a cloth that we would take and pray over. And we put all of our faith in the cloth or the oil. Those are symbols, but that's not like the deal. Those are the hymns of garments. It's not all, man, I, I didn't get, I didn't get olive oil on my head. It's just a representation of the anointing of God being close and with you. It's not about the dimension of your faith, the depth of your faith, the size of your faith, because she's got messed up faith. She's put it in, if I can just touch him, if I can just touch him. And yet she's healed. Why? Because the direction of her faith made her willing to step out of her comfort zone and go towards Jesus, get close to Jesus. Look, 
The world is completely counter to this, counterintuitive. The world will tell you this. Well, look, look at what culture tells you. It really don't matter what you believe. Everybody can believe whatever they want to believe. You believe what you believe. I'll believe what I believe. As long as you believe it with all your might, as long as you have a lot of belief in it, if you believe it, you can achieve it. I believe I can fly. Guess what? If you believe it with all your might, even if you're trying to believe in God with all your might, then it would be about what you could do instead of what he can do. I believe with all my might versus believing in his almighty power. It's not about the dimension. It's about the direction. Okay, another illustration about you and some friends. You and two other friends are running through a snow-covered forest, being chased by a bear. And you are running, and the music is... <laughs> and you are like... <laughs> and the bear's like, I'm eating legs tonight. And you bust out of the snow-covered forest and you kind of have to slide to a stop because there's a, there's a cliff and about 15 feet down is a, is a frozen lake. A frozen lake. And you got to jump. And there's three of you and you're looking at each other. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? First guy jumps. Ah, and he's thinking as he jumps, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. This is it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. He jumps and he lands on the ice and he doesn't fall through. Little did he know the ice is like nine inches thick. He's all good. And he goes, whoo, whoo. The second guy sees that guy and he, he jumps, seeing what he's seen. He's got the information. He's like, oh, I'll give it a 50, 50 chance. I'm a little bit heavier than hurt him. 50, 50, 50, 50. Ah, boom. He lands and he's good. The third guy says, Okay, I like the odds. I think it's probably going to be okay. And he jumps. And all three of them are saved. They're saved. The bear comes up to the edge. Like, no, man. So my question for you in this story is, how much, how much faith did they have to have in the ice to save them? Because one guy had no, like, like, ah! I'm done. The other guy, I don't know, 50-50. The other one, maybe. How much faith, what was the percentage of faith they had to have in the ice to save them? Just enough to jump. How much faith do you have to have in a Jesus to save you? Just enough to come to him. Just enough to step out and fall at his feet. He's not looking for faith fighters. He's looking for people who will jump, get close. It's not about the dimension, it's about the direction. Number 12. Number 12. Faith is an anchor that must be tethered. Now, you may ask, what happened to 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11? Because <laughs> we just finished number four. What about, all the other, what, what about the other seven? Why 12? 
Well, look, there's nothing wasted in scripture. This woman has had an issue with blood, with spiritual, with hemorrhaging for how many years? Jairus has a daughter who's been great. She's grown up. Everything's been cool. How old is she? These aren't coincidences. These are symbols. These are moments to show us everything points back to Jesus. Everything points back in scripture to Jesus. It is a divine revelation of not just stories about God. It is all showing Jesus is the answer. He is the word that became flesh. He's the embodiment of the word. Follow Jesus and you'll find God. Believe in Jesus and you'll find God. Now, 12 throughout the Bible is significant. There's numbers that are significant. Now, don't start putting your numbers like they're rolling of dice, you know, and you, you find a number and you, you want that, you want to pray and then you say the number 7-11 and, you, you know, trust in God. Like, it's not about that. It's not a gamble. It's not numerology. But there's symbolism in numbers all throughout the Bible. Um, Jonah is in the belly of the big fish for three days. Jesus is in the, the belly of the ground for three days. There's symbolism here. There are, uh, there are 40 years that the Israelites wander in the wilderness. And there are 40 days that Jesus wanders in the wilderness and is tempted by the enemy and stays true because he's perfect and the Israelites weren't. He's the solution, not their legal system. There are, there, there, there are 12 sons of Jacob who become the 12 tribes of Judah that makes up the governance of 12 governments around Israel. The, in the new heaven and new earth, the new Jerusalem has 12 gates. Uh, Jesus is, is, is 12 years old when he's in the temple and we see him for the first time beyond a baby going from Bethlehem to Egypt and back to Galilee. We see him stand up and he, they are shocked because he's about his father's business at 12. And when he goes to choose some friends, I would have stopped at 11, but everybody needs a hater. <laughs> so he got tw 12 guys around him. There's something significant about 12. 12 throughout the Bible symbolically represents authority and power. The authority and power of God. So faith is an anchor. If you have a boat and you have an anchor and you throw the anchor out into the lake, that anchor doesn't do anything if it's not tied to the, it's gotta be tethered to the boat. If you throw the anchor out and it's got no you know, draw strength, it's gone. It's not about the depth of your anchor, how heavy your faith is, how strong your faith is. It's gotta be tethered to something. And it can't be tethered to just your personal experience. It can't be tethered to someone else's experience. Here's what you've got to tether your faith, big or small or the size of a basketball, to his ultimate power and authority. It is this woman and Jairus. Jairus loses the ultimate power and authority of his position. And the woman loses the ultimate and power and authority of her legal system. And she's willing to be She's willing to break the law to go to Jesus. And Jairus is willing to humble himself to go to Jesus. Because why? Because not the size of their faith. It's because they recognized his ultimate power and authority. But pride will want us to be the ultimate power and authority, everybody. Do you know why he has ultimate authority? Because he is the author. He's the author and finisher of your faith. Because he's the author, he has ultimate authority. Number five, for this woman to get strong, 
Jesus became weak. Now, this is unique. This has never happened in Scripture. This is like, what is going on? In a lot of fairy tales and in a lot of superstitious stuff, you'll have people that, that um, like, you know, Mickey Mouse rolls up, his, rolls up his sleeves and puts on the hat with the, with, with the, with the moons on it, you know, and, and, and it's a, a fantasia, right? And, and he's, blah, and there's all this stuff. And, and, and like, you know, He-Man's like, by the power of Christ, call. And, and there's all kinds of like, they conjure it up. And when they're done, they're like, I don't, just don't know if I can, you know, that, ah, and then they get weak. It's because it, they're so exerted. But yet all throughout scripture, you never see Jesus get weak. A hurricane's coming. They're in a hurricane on the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples say, wake up. He's asleep on a my pillow. He's asleep. And he wakes up and he, he doesn't go, hang on. Oh. Abracadabra, play the music, worship pastor. Like he doesn't get any of that. He goes, peace, be still. Lazarus, come forth. Child, get up. Can you see? There you go. He doesn't exert himself. So why does Jesus get tired here? Why does Jesus, what, 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 what happens here? Nothing's wasted in scripture, everybody. Everything points back to Jesus. Because of her blood flow, she's ceremonially unclean. She doesn't have the right to approach a rabbi. And Jesus is saying to you and to me, with this nameless woman who represents us in the story, no matter who you are, where you come from, every one of us have a spiritual hemorrhaging that cannot be cured by anything you could do. And the only way to get healing from your spiritual hemorrhaging is Jesus would choose for himself to become unclean, to take your uncleanness so you could be made whole, for him to take your sickness so you could live free from sin. Regardless of physical healings, this story really isn't about the death or the hemorrhaging. It's about you and me and the greatest death that all of us face, yet Jesus took that death. He took your place. He became weak so you could be strong. We couldn't stand in the presence of God because of our uncleanness. And so Jesus would take the cross and God would forsake him instead of forsaking you. This is the power of that story. More than anything you could get physically from God, he wants to heal your heart from the sin that will hemorrhage you for the rest of your life. So she touches him. She isn't struck dead. She should be dead. So later he's going to die for her in her place. Those are the basic lessons. And as we wrap up today, let me give you these last ones fast. Master's degree and advanced lessons in faith that fuels a miracle. Here they are. Number one, you can trust him, everybody. Can somebody who's had to go through a trust issue with God that you got through the valley of the shadow of death and you've learned to trust him, can you give me an amen today from all of our locations? You can trust him. But look at Jairus. 
He's been through the ringer. He's ran. He's heavy on breath. He's dusty from running through the dusty street. And Jesus spends all this time. Look, the woman with the issue of blood, she would have been fine for like a grab and go. You know, she's just like, she's like, like a touch and run. She just wanted to like, boop, woo. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. And she's like, Bleh. he's like, who touched me? Why? Because he's showing her the deeper issue. He's showing her, no, I don't want to mess up your faith. It wasn't about you touching my garment. It's your faith that's made your whole. It's your faith in me. He's, he's showing it for everybody to see. He wants to reveal her to everybody so they will learn the lesson. It ain't about this. It's not about getting my signature. It's not about walking a certain way. It's not how, about having a physical altar. It's about making your heart an altar. It's all about who I am and what I've done and what I'm going to continue to do. It's your faith that's made you whole. Your faith, not in a miracle, your faith in me. That's what's happening. I'm preaching better than you're responding today. <sighs> I need a water. I need a, a water. You can trust him. But listen, everybody. Can you see Jairus looking at his Apple watch? He's getting text messages from his wife. Where are you? Jesus is, I'm waiting on Jesus. What's he doing? He's, he's talking. What? He's asking who touched him. Somebody touched him in the crowd. What? Jairus is waiting. Thank you. Oh, thank you, my child. <laughs> Some of you have to go pee now. <laughs> so, you can trust him. You can trust him. Even when you don't see it. Even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. You never stop working. You're the way maker, the miracle worker, the light in the darkness. Wow, it's dark, but he is the light in the darkness. It's not about finding the miracle in the dark. It's about finding Jesus in the dark. You can trust him. But there's another caveat to that. You just need to know it because you're not God and he is. He will not be hurried. He won't be hurried. Never in the scripture do you see Jesus jumping out of the boat. Oh man, I'm going to be late. Never do you see just, oh man, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go. He's just walking wherever it goes. He encourages you to run with perseverance, but he's like, let's make it happen. Now, as we begin to close, which means nothing from a pastor, <laughs> listen to me close, because we're about to pray. We're about to hear a story and then pray. Um, maybe if you and I sat down on the edge of this platform, Nagadoches, we sat down in your platform, we sat, you sat with Pastor Dan right there, and he heard your story and I heard your story. Like the story of my friend John, who I just met in between services, he was praying for a miracle of his family. Two little babies, and the marriages split, and tears streaming down his face. Why hasn't this happened yet? He says, "Why? I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Like, why hasn't God put us?" And with all honesty in my heart, I would say, "Yeah, it does. It feels like God is. It almost feels like malpractice." It feels irrational that he wouldn't show up already. 
He will not be hurried. He has information that you don't have. All the information isn't available to you yet. And that's tough. But he invites you not to go to him as the miracle worker, but go to him as your Messiah, the anointed one, who you can trust his timeline. But it is my pride, everybody. It's my pride that says, you know, God ought to work in my time the way that I've asked it and meet the need that I'm asking him to meet. It, it, it is, and, and I've been there. I have been there. And I have to surrender that to Jesus. You can trust him, but he's not gonna be hurried. And in the middle of the delay, He's still God because we know what Jairus didn't know. He is just as powerful to raise the dead than heal the sick. He can do both like that. He will not be hurried. Trust his good timing. Number two, an advanced lesson of faith. He displays his ultimate power. He displays his ultimate power as he walks into the room. He pushes the laughers out. He pushes the posers out. He says, come on in, Peter, James, and John. I'm going to teach you something. I'm not going to teach the rest of the nine. I'm going to teach you something, not the rest of the crowd. going to see mom and dad stand close. I'm going to show you something about me that people, I'm just, I'm just giving this to you. This is the small room. This is the small group. There's something special happening here. And he displays his ultimate power as the perfect what? The perfect emperor, the perfect prince, the prince of peace, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. No, how does he choose to display his ultimate power? It's not as a perfect God. He shows his ultimate power to us as a perfect parent. As a perfect parent. He says, Mark says, he says, Talitha kum. And he says it in Aramaic. Mark is writing to Romans who speak Greek. And yet he writes it in Aramaic. Why did he say it in Aramaic? Why does Mark even need to write that down? Number one, because it happened. Those little details show us this isn't an author making up stories because a person making up a fairy tale, there's no reason for them to speak to a Roman audience in a different language. Just bypass all that, make it clean and make it plain. An editor would never let that happen. This really happened, everybody. It's also because this Aramaic, it doesn't translate in Greek, but it translates very family, very parental. Do you know the word parent itself means to bring forth, to give birth? To parent means to give birth and bring forth. He is the ultimate parent. And in that room that a mom would have come in day after day, Set down on the edge of the bed. Go ahead, Cody. Would have taken her sleeping 12-year-old daughter, getting ready for sixth or seventh grade. Looked at her and patted her, held her hand. And just like that mom would, Jesus walks in and sits on the edge of the bed. Looks at her in the face. I can only imagine how mom and dad are feeling on the side and Peter, James, and John standing there saying, what is about to happen? And her face is pale. Jesus gently brushes her hair out of of her face, off of her cheek. I wonder if he 
leans down and whispers something Mark couldn't translate and says, I know you. I've known you before you were even born. And he doesn't bust open the door and say, the king is here, rise. He takes her by the hand and he says, which when you understand it completely translated, it's as if he is saying, honey, honey, it's time to get up. When we're kids, we should feel very safe when we have the hand of our parent. But do you know that you're not perfectly safe? As good as your parents may have been, you're not perfectly safe when you're holding the hand of a parent. But you are perfectly safe when you're holding the hand of the ultimate parent. Do you know why you can hold his hand? Because Jesus, the son of God, God chose to let go of the hand of Jesus when he faced the cross. Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God the Father forsook his own son. Let go of his hand for a moment in eternity so that you could grab his hand, so you could have all access to Jesus. Write it down. If he has my hand, I have all I need. Jesus knows delay in the garden of Gethsemane. He says, I don't want to take this cup from me. He wanted to cut to the salvation, cut to the pain, the pain of it. But Jesus even had to deal with the delay and move through all the pain. The girl gets up, she walks around the room. I wonder if she goes to her mom and says, who's this man on my bed? What is going on? Who are these three guys over here? Mom, Mrs. Jarris and Mr. Jarris just crab her up. They're like, what do we do? How do we pay you? What do we need? We need to make, let's make an altar. Let's do this. Let's do that. He says, no, 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 no. Give her something to eat. Why? Like, this is just like, this is the most amazing moment in their history. And Jesus says, yeah, it's Thursday for me. Get her breakfast. If he has your hand, he has all you have all you need. And they were astonished and they were amazed and they were completely like just, whoa. They had seen with their own eyes. But can I say something to you? Sometimes, sounds good to be in the Bible, but why am I going through my thing? I haven't seen with my own eyes. Well, today I've saved the best for last. God has brought you into this room and into the online campus and at Dybal and Duncan and Nacogdoches, I believe to build you up for this moment right here. Because over the last couple of weeks, our church and in particular, a person in our church experienced an absolutely unexplainable, medically confirmed miracle absolutely unexplainable, medically confirmed miracle where God shows up and does what only he can do because nobody else can do it 
by their own strength. And man, I sat with this person and was so encouraged. Like my faith was strengthened. I'm like, man, I want faith like you. I, I wanna know Jesus like you know Jesus. They, they taught me so much in the little bit that we had together. And she's 11. She's going into the sixth grade. Her name's Kara. And I want you to welcome Kara and her mom and dad, Justin and Whitney Lindsay, or Whitney Lindsay to the platform. Give it up for them as they come. Guys, come on in. Be fast. Run, 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 run. Hi, guys. Oh, you're back. Oh, you already preached in the Iglesia, and I've been so long that you're already done over there. Oh, my gosh. Whoopsie. That's okay. Justin and Whitney are on our team at Timber Creek. They are in the Next Steps department. They help with groups and assimilation and uh, all of our discipleship pathways. Uh, Justin and Whitney have experienced a miracle in their own life uh, through Jesus and Timber Creek Church. And uh, it's so great to see their whole family uh, engaged in part of church life here at Timber Creek in the Lufkin location. Um, Kara, thanks for agreeing to do this. You're so beautiful. Thank Oops. you. And, and uh, let me make sure you got your mic on there. You got it? Talk it in there and say, yo. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Kara, from the outside looking in, you're a beautiful young lady. Um, someone would see you walking down the road. They wouldn't think you needed a miracle or you needed healing. Um, you're bright and you're positive and you're so stinking smart. A 100 on the star test. What? I was mad at people like you in school. Because you like you 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 destroy the curve. Anyway. So, Kara, you you're going into sixth grade, but a few years ago, uh, you you began to notice something. Tell us your story. Um, when I was in first grade, they always do a hearing screening at school. And I failed it and we were really confused so we went to the audiologist Dr. Malbach and I had lost a little bit of hearing but I didn't I couldn't really tell because it was only a little bit then my parents noticed I only stay I didn't look at your eyes I only looked at your lips and that my and I and I taught myself how to read lips and so that's how I was hearing people was by reading lips and over the years it just got way worse and it just felt normal to you because you didn't know what it should feel like so you just started picking up that just kind of involuntary reading of lips so mom when you guys got that that test what what did you guys do you know the first test it was just a little bit of, of a decline and so we thought okay she's had a lot of ear infections it will just be this and then we walked the past two years of just a truly, every time we would go back, it was worse and it was worse and it was worse. And it was taking a toll on her and us. And we had had um, CT scans and genetic testing and nobody could tell us why she was going deaf. So there was no way to prepare because no one knew what was gonna happen. Wow. So test after test, I, we, we actually have one of those audiological tests that we can put on the screen. So that's the latest one. That was the latest one that, that uh, was showing just how, how much the hearing had, had declined. And to give you another understanding, if you, this is where normal hearing should be at the 10 to 20 decibel right around there. 
And so you are all the way down here, and one of those lines represents your right ear and one represents your left ear, right? A hundred is deaf. Wow. And so you went through, like, what all did you guys do to try and fix this? We've had seven sets of tubes, multiple surgeries. We've went to the Dallas Ear Institute, Texas Children's, doctors around here, like, I went wherever I could go. I want answers. It's, as a mom and a dad, we want to fix it. And so we just continued to go to more and more doctors. And it wasn't until we ended up at Texas Children's that they just kind of confirmed that it is genetic and that she has no quality of life right now. And they said the next step was to go see a cochlear implant team. Because you, you hadn't learned sign language yet. I remember walking through the offices a few months ago and watching them with a a sign language coach, learning sign language, um, trusting God, but also having to deal with the reality of this genetic issue. Um, Man, that must've been tough last year when COVID hit and everybody's wearing masks and you're relying on reading lips. It was so tough. Anytime I had a partner in class, they had to sit across the table and pull their mask down. And my teachers had to wear facials or I wouldn't hear them and I wouldn't. And sometimes they they didn't and I couldn't hear them at all. What determination though to have that kind of setback and still do so well. There was something in drive, almost like a desperation in you, a determination. That's pretty cool. So there's another picture here and this is, where, where is this? What's happening here? I'm at Texas Children's Hospital and I just found out that I need cochlear implants and it hit me four weeks of no hearing, multiple surgeries. You mean, you mean if they do the surgery, they're gonna have to take your hearing completely away for four weeks? Four to five weeks. And I wouldn't hear anything while my brain was adjusting. In order to do the cochlear implants, which was a big deal, right? That was probably, it's really hard to look at. One of the hardest times to look at your child and you can't fix it. And um, the week following that appointment, I was, our staff does a once a month prayer and worship with our team. And we were in here and we were praying. And one of the, our, our wonderful Courtney came up to the front and she said, I just feel like someone in this room has not surrendered. And it was me because I'm, if I'm honest, I was angry with God. I, I hated this for my baby and for our family and what we were walking through. And I, I got on the floor over here and I just said, okay, God, I surrender. Even if this is our path, we're gonna rock it in the deaf community. And I was healed that day. I was no longer walking around with this anger. I was okay because I knew God was gonna do something incredible through her and with her. And um, that was where I was healed on that day. Wow. Yeah, I remember when uh, she sent me the picture because Whitney usually takes all the kids to the doctors because, well, I'm just not real good at it. So, But uh, she, had, uh, she had sent me the picture and that's when the reality set in that this is, this is our next step. This is the path we're fixing to take. And, and on top of it, it's not just the procedure, it's the expenses that come with it. And as a provider and the leader of your house, that, you know, it bears a big weight. You're like, okay, well, well we've got to sell it all and live in a shoe, we will, to make sure our daughter gets what she needs. And um, I remember that, that day of worship when we were walking out, uh, we walked right out those back doors and my wife looked at me and she said, let's figure out how to get in the deaf community and reach, uh, reach the lost. 
Wow. So uh, camp was a few days away right after this picture. And because of the reading of lips and you, you, your mom and dad said that you'd kind of maybe drawn in a little bit and weren't talking as much. And so that you started journaling and right before you left for camp, you journaled and this is the, this is the letter. And uh, would you just read it for us? Today we went to the children's hospital and found out I need cochlear implants and I'm very sad because more trips to Houston and surgeries and no hearing for four weeks and I'm scared for him I don't think I want to go I'm very sick of having to worry about it so I might not go I just want someone that knows and understands what I'm going through so I don't know why but I'm scared to go I I just have a lot on my mind so I'm glad I have Jesus my family and friends in this journal so right tomorrow wow notice that you wrote I just want someone that knows and understands what I'm going through. Ah, that's Jesus. And I have just a lot on my mind, so I'm glad I have Jesus, my family, and friends, and this journal. I had a friend, and her name is Grace, and she's been with me, and she, she, I met her in pre-K, and so she's been in my class, so in first grade, she, after my family and all of that, I told her because me and her have been best friends and she always, no matter what happened, um, she always looked at the positive. She never looked at the negative and she didn't see me, she didn't see me as not Kerrigan. She always saw me as Kara and she, she never thought of me any different from Boy, anyone Boy, we all else. need friends like that, don't we? Wow, listen to that. She had some people that believed with her. It's like Jesus kind of kicked those people out that were laughing at the situation. Everybody needs someone who's not going to laugh at the situation or look down at the situation, but walk with you through the situation. Can I get an amen? All right. So you decided to go to camp. I did. And was it the first night? It was the very first night, the first service. So the very first night in the first service, there's an opportunity for all these kids from ages eight to 11 um, to, which by the way, you're 11 years old. I just turned 11. You just turned 11 in July. I asked mom how old Kara was, because if she was 12, I was going to jump like, <laughs> like, oh dear God. Revival breaking loose. It is actually. So you're 11 years old. It's your last year at kids camp and they invite everybody to pray and everything's done. So you prayed and it's done, but then you circle back up. And this is the picture of you guys circling back up. And, 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 and we know some of these people in here from our church, but the woman that's kind of in the top right with kind of almost like the pink looking. That says the kids camp shirt. We didn't know her. She was across the room. We, she, 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 did, she, she doesn't go to this church. She, you never met her in your life. She lives in Dallas. And she came over and she said, I have a static in my ear and they're burning really bad. But it went away. And I think it's for this little girl. But she had no idea what we prayed about. So okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. I feel a static in my ear and kind of a burning. And I just feel compelled to go over to this girl who I've never met in my life and pray over her. And I don't know why. Now, let me just pause. Let me just pause. Don't look for the static and don't look for the burning. Look for the walking towards Jesus. Look for the obedience to just go towards Jesus. So she began to pray and what happened? 
all of a sudden, acid, when she started praying, my ears started burning really bad, and they popped, and everything was clear. I could hear everything. Pause. <laughs> Praise break. <laughs> oh. Oh, you ain't, you ain't heard nothing yet. So, you got the burning. One of the counselors calls you guys before you ever talk to Kara and they say, hey, here's what's going on. I got a call from the director of the, of the camp. Uh, I got a text message, hey, this is Michelle. Just want you to know something incredible is going on. And I'll be honest, I was like you, Whitney, a little bit. When I first heard, I was like, oh, that's great. But oh, Jesus, I hope it's real because I don't want a child's faith to be wounded or something not to be like, oh, okay, well, let's see. And so let's, let's look for information. Information is our friend, not our enemy. Information's our friend, not our enemy. And so guys, you heard, and what were you thinking? I, when she called, I remember I couldn't even speak on the phone because it's so hard to believe. And I, like him, I would, I wanted so badly to believe it was true. And in my, in my heart, I knew, but my head was having trouble kind of catching up with it. And so I remember something that Justin had said to her on the phone and he said, you know, we knew what God can do or could do, but you knew what God would do. And that was the difference. She never doubted that God could heal her. And so we were sitting over here and I called the audiologist that Sunday and I said, hey, we need to get her in tomorrow to get it checked. And we're driving to the doctor that Monday after camp and I was a nervous wreck and I was praying, Lord, please let this this test match what she's saying. And she leans over and she touches my hand and she said, Mama, why are you so nervous? My God don't do nothing halfway. And then just, what do you say? And and so when uh, I got the phone um, a week before, uh, maybe even a couple weeks before, uh, me and Kerrigan were riding home um, to the house and I, I knew God had put something in me and I told her, I said, baby, I said, what you're going through I said, I believe God has something for you, but it's going to take a childlike faith. And she, and I said, so I just encourage you just to keep praying. And she said, daddy, I do pray. I said, don't you give up. And the the cool thing about this um, is while this is happening in in Waxahachie, our youth had put together a praise by the pool. This is not run by adults. This is run by our youth. So like Pastor Jeremy said, don't count our next generation out. But they were having a self-appointed praise by the pool. Her oldest sister, Gracie, was in the middle of, 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 of praise and worship, and she got a vision of people surrounding her, her sister, healing her, and she knows nothing about the call. And she's worshiping to the song Available. Okay, when he says, I'm available. And, and so I call Gracie, in the middle of this, and I said, baby, you, you won't believe what happened. And she just started squalling. I was like, well, what's wrong with this one? What, what? <laughs> uh, the life of a dad. <laughs> you got three girls. And she said, dad, I just had a vision of people surrounding Kerrigan and that she received healing at camp. And what song was actually playing at kids camp when they were praying for you? Available. The same song, what? It's not about the song. It's not about the burning. It's not about the static. It's not about the hem of the garment. But there are moments where Jesus just smiles on us. 
So you get home, you're driving to the audio, audio to the doctor, <laughs> the services, audiological services, and uh, actually someone from our church and some people from our church at work there, they're a little nervous too. And you could feel it in the room we walked in because they had already known the story and they're just all believers and they love Timber Creek Church. And so when they get ready, Miss Tina says, Whitney, scoot your chair over here. And he, she said, I'm gonna make this test hard. I want, she's gonna have to work to hear the sounds. And so I, I scoot over close to her. I wasn't worried about COVID. I was just all, you know, looking at everything. And as the test goes on and I'm watching this line, I just keep going, oh my gosh shut up oh my gosh i could not believe what i was watching because what you were seeing this is what we had seen before and the devastations of knowing that cochlear implants were, were next and and look 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 what would you have done if jesus didn't heal you and and then like what would you say answer that but then also like how would you encourage someone who maybe they're, they're praying for a miracle and they haven't had it yet, but like what, how did you process that? Even if Jesus didn't heal me, I knew that I would get to talk to the deaf community and like with, with cochlear implants and stuff, we were, we were learning sign language. I get to tell them about Jesus and the deaf community about Jesus because most of them haven't heard it because they've been deaf. Mm -hmm. And It's the number one unreached people group actually in America is the deaf community. So I'd get to tell them about it if Jesus didn't heal me, but if he did, then I get to share it with so many people that haven't received a miracle that I, because I knew that no matter what happened, God had a plan for that. God had to, no matter what happened, God, if I did go deaf, God had a plan for me to talk to the deaf community about him. And if I didn't, God told me to impact other people's life that haven't had a miracle. You are smart and you are, there's an anointing on your life. This is before. And as they took the test just a couple of weeks ago, this is after. Twenty-five and above is normal. I had 20, so I had above normal hearing. Above normal yes. hearing. For an issue that you've been dealing with for five years, that you have not had normal hearing for five years, and now you've gotten tested. So what's been like, what's been, oh, this picture right here. So you went on vacation recently. What are, you're sitting there, it's like you're contemplating. What are you doing there? I'm listening to the wave because I've never heard them before. You had never heard the waves before. Thank you for sharing your story. God's real, isn't he? I'm gonna invite you, Nacogdoches and Lufkin. You may be at your kitchen table watching online. I'm gonna invite every single one of you to stand right where you are. I'm gonna invite you to place your hands on your heart or your hands in the air. But if you need a miracle,
today. If you need God to intervene in the delay, if you're asking him, if you need him to just reach out and grab your hand, I believe if you need to step out from where you are and you need to come to an altar, I want you to know that if you come to an altar, the same Jesus that will meet you in the front will meet you in the back. It does not matter. But however, if you need to kneel at your chair, if you need to sit down, if you need to raise them straight up, if you need to shed some tears or you need to cry out loud, God is here. He will meet you where you are. Let your heart fall at his feet. No matter what's going on in your life, he is able, he is capable. And now open your heart. And Kara, I'm gonna ask you, pray. Because it wasn't long ago, everybody, that Justin and Whitney stood on this same stage and they had gone through a divorce and it was over. And yet God reorganized and reshaped and healed their marriage right on this stage. So this is a relational thing. This is a physical thing. This is a financial thing. And it is no thing for God to meet you where you are. Are you ready to pray? Come on, let's receive it today. Would you just pray with me? Pray with Kara. Go ahead, Kara. Dear Jesus, God, we come to you right now because I've seen miracles. I've seen I've seen families reunited, God. Yes. And I know that even if the devil tries to put something bad in your life, that God turns what the devil meant for evil into good. And whatever happens, God has a plan for that. And he knows the way and you just have to follow him. He is the light in the darkness because I know I have drowned in darkness before with this. But I knew that God had a plan for me. I knew God has, and God has a plan for you. He has a plan for every single one of us. And no matter what happens, He meant to do that. And He wants to use that to do something incredible. If it's to talk to people about Him, use it. And if He gives you a miracle, awesome. And if He doesn't, just remember that that is because you, He's going to use that and turn it into something amazing. No matter what happens, He always has a plan for you. In Jesus' name. 